This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. again everybody to the disney film project podcast this program is where we discuss the films of the walt disney company and their associated other companies and subsidiaries and all those other sorts of things but it's basically disney movies that's what we talk about we like them we love them we want some more of them i am ryan Kilpatrick, host of the show and along with my buddies we run disneyfilmproject.com where we discuss those very same films as well as shorts uh, Blu-ray reviews and all sorts of great content, so make sure you head over there and check that out as well. Uh, joining me for this program, as always, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is a blogger over at touringplans.com. He's chief technical officer at disneydrivenlife.com. He works at on-the-go and mco.com, and I believe he actually created the iPhone 6. They're just not leaking it yet. What do you mean? We're up to an 8 time travel ah good point good point is that actually a standard feature in ios 12 time travel my time machine actually runs off of ios 12 nice i like it just hit an icon and i it goes what time do you want to go to and i hit some scrolly things and bam there you go perfect i love it also with us this evening, we have Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who is the producer of the program. You can follow her on Twitter, at CherylP3, or you can go over to about.me slash CherylP3, and you can see all of her trials and travails in putting this show together. How are you, Cheryl? I'm fine. Done some editing today, so. Nice. Good to know. And as usually, we are joined by Miss Brianna Alessio. She can't be with us this evening, but uh, you can follow her over at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com, and you will hear from her soon, I'm sure, on upcoming programs. Uh, But today, we discuss the three musketeers. I wanted to clarify that we're talking about the one that was actually in the theaters and filmed with real people, not with the animated one. Yes, the 1993 live-action version. Uh, As we continue to survey the films of one Stephen Herrick, we started with Mighty Ducks, and now we are on The Three Musketeers. This was his next film uh, after Mighty Ducks. Was it? It was. And he, he brings much the same sensibilities to medieval France that he brought to hockey in Anaheim, California. At least that's yeah. my take on it. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because um, there's um, – you know how like when we talked about Mighty Ducks, there was um, some discussion about how the the kids all had to learn how to play hockey you know, and stuff like that because they didn't really necessarily know. Even though it was a requirement for the for the um, tryouts, they yes. – people came said, yeah, I know how to play hockey and then learned how to afterwards. Yes. Uh this movie also similarly had a lot of training involved, except Charlie Sheen showed up to none of it. That, that, is anyone surprised by that? 
now. So when when everybody else is looking okay with their swords, and okay, and I mean okay, they're not like great. They don't look like great swordsmen in this movie at all. Um, Charlie Sheen, if you pay attention, he's just kind of like going yeah, 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 yeah with his sword all the time. Interesting. I like yeah. it. And another Stephen Herrick film that we've we've done, 101 Dalmatians. Oh, the uh, the live version. Yes, he d- he directed that film as well. Wow. And again, brought the same sensibilities to medieval France as he did the the puppies. <laughs> huh. I'll let you draw your own conclusions. I'm just trying to like yeah, I'm trying to paint the lines there, you know, ducks, dogs, France. Uh, I think I think the line is Disney offered him a paycheck. I think so too. Yes. And really, who among us would turn that down? That's what I'm saying. So The Three Musketeers, the 1993 film, as Todd mentioned, starring Charlie Sheen, also with Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver Platt as the title characters, The Three Musketeers, and then Chris O'Donnell as D'Artagnan, whom, if you've ever read or seen other interpretations of the Alexandre Dumas piece, uh, you know he is the one who is trying to join the Musketeers. So it's really the four Musketeers, and it's completely misnamed uh, and has been since the beginning of time. Well, no, he's not a musketeer, so there are only three musketeers until the end. Don't be technical. No, in the, wait, 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 wait. First of all, since we're on it, um, even in the Dumas novel, that's how it goes. I know, I'm just saying. He's, okay. He's practically, to be perfectly honest, though, in the course of this film, and now I'm not as familiar with the book, none of them are musketeers. Yes, none of them are musketeers in this movie. Although the truth of the matter is, is that technically they couldn't be disbanded. Okay. Not, not by the cardinal anyway, but they don't get into that. But, I mean, it's something to touch on. So first of all, let's, let's discuss something very important. Is um, The book that this is based on is a historic book, which technically makes this a historic movie. Okay. Like, okay. like a real history? Yes. So, it's impo- so here's, here's the funny thing, right? When Dumas originally wrote his book, right, he thought he was plagiarizing somebody else's work, okay? All right. Okay, he, so he based it on um, a book called The, the Memories of D'Artagnan, okay, which, or Memoir de Monsieur d'Artagnan by a, a man named Gatien de Cort, Cortilles, Cortils? I'm not sure. I'm really bad. Oui. It's all French. Yes, oui, oui. Oui, oui. Okay, so this book was published in 1700, right? And Dumas um, found this book, didn't realize that it was actually a historic work, and thought he was copying a fictionalized work, and then he refactored it for his own personal needs. Okay, um, he actually found two works. He found that the story about D'Artagnan and a similar named book called The Memoirs of Monsieur le Comte de Rochefort, or the character Rochefort in this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the 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 book that Dumas wrote is actually a combination of those two books, where he removes the character from the D'Artagnan story and replaces it with Rochefort, and then um, kicks up a notch a few on uh, the Lady de Winter, and you end up with the Three Musketeers. Okay. Okay. There you go. Uh, it, the Musketeers were real. Uh, there, every Musketeer in the movie that's named is based on a real Musketeer. Um, and we can get into that in a bit. Uh, the cardinal was real. 
Louis the Eighth was real. Queen Anne was real. You know, the story is basically real. Uh, Cardinal Richelieu was indeed trying to overthrow the king, but and um, I don't know if he actually murdered the the father, like in the movie. And I can't remember if that actually happened in the novel because the novel is very different, right? In a lot of respects. Yes, let's let's call that out right away. That that the movie in very few or if any ways resembles the novel except for the characters and the basic outline. Like right. but the, most the of the details outline. are very different. Yes, most of the for example, okay, um big big reveal um in in the book and this is a spoiler for a book that's several hundred years old, so forget it if you don't like it. Um <laughs> In the book, it's actually Cardinal Richelieu, who is actually the bad guy, okay, in the book, that gives the musketeer title to D'Artagnan, as an example. Another interesting thing in the book versus the movie is that in the book, the Duke of Buckingham is actually a good guy. I mean, he's actually a companion to the musketeers and their friend, and he's actually the, murdered by... Well, he's supposed to be murdered by the Lady de Winter, who actually ends up having her captor kill him for her. But yes, she she's a very different person in the movie versus the book. Yes, she's much nicer in the movie, by the way. That's when we say different. Yes, very much so. <laughs> she does not, have some redeeming value. Yes, she does. I just want to take a moment and go down the list of the historic versus the character names. That sound good? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Okay. D'Artagnan, who's the main protagonist, as we discussed, is not a musketeer for most of the original novel and most of the movie, because until the very end when he becomes one in the movie. His historical name was Charles de Batz Casamore de D'Artagnan. Okay. And that's his full, big, long name. He is several things. He did not actually serve with Louis VIII and Cardinal Richelieu. For what it's worth, he actually served for their successors, Mazarin, who was the equivalent of the cardinal, and Louis the Fourteenth, who's actually the. We'll get into Louis the Fourteenth in a second and how he connects to the musketeers a little bit more. These particular musketeers. The one scene that's actually almost completely lifted from the novel into the movie is the scene where he goes through challenging them in the town and then ends up at the ruins. Yeah, that's that's probably the most him. famous thing. Yeah, that, right. That's. That here about his introduction and everything. Yeah, that's the important scene, and that's actually exactly almost to the letter how it goes in the novel. So that's a, that's a, just an important mention. Porthos's real name was Isaac de Portu. He wasn't actually a pirate like in the movie, but he was a worked for a ship captain. You know, as part of the that was the militia part that he was from France. He was part of the navy essentially. Aramis's real name was Henry de Armatez. And Athos's real name was Armand de Segli, um, who was something, something de Athos de Ortville or something like that. I'm just like too much French for me, folks. Sorry. They're actually mentioned very briefly in the novel that Dumas tried to plagiarize but made better, essentially. That was his, the whole purpose of the Three Musketeers novel to begin with was to make this into a better story. The Countess de Winter, also known as Sabine in the movie, was probably, like I said earlier, the furthest departure from it, but what's interesting about her character more than anything else is that this is the first time a Disney character in a Disney branded movie actually commits suicide. Interesting. Actually, I I, I I don't well, I don't I'm not sure she we're not sure she lived. 
I'm putting that out there. We've I see Donald doing that same jump in the Mexico ride, and he's fine after. Yes, cartoon character, dead person. I'm not saying she could have survived. She could have, but she didn't. Yes. That's what I'm going to go with. She's really a Dalek. <laughs> that could be possible. Could be. Time travel. We already talked about Cardinal Richelieu. That was actually a real Cardinal Richelieu. That name is verbatim. Uh, Captain Rochefort, as we discussed, was one of the original novels, was originally based on his character. Another piece that's very well carried from the books into the movie is just the general rivalry between the guards and the musketeers. Yes. Cause, yeah, cause I do remember that. Yeah, because that's a big part of the novel is uh, Richelieu actually has his own guard, and the, the red shirt guys in the movie are the cardinal's guard, and the musketeers are the blue shirt guys, and that's a lift directly from the book, and they are constantly at odds. Yes. Yeah, that's that's I do remember that rivalry from the books and it's kind of it's it's almost given like a little side mention here when they disband the musketeers but then the red guards don't really play a huge role in the in the rest of the film as far as like the rivalry doesn't uh but the they are rich loose thugs but it's not the the whole rivalry piece isn't played up as much. Right, it's not but it's it's just carried forward and it's it's good. If people really like stories with these characters, there are several Dumas novels, six I think total, right? I think you're right. I'm not 100% certain, but yeah, I think so. Uh, My favorite is still the final one, which is The Man in the Iron Mask. Which has also been made into a movie. Which has also been made into a movie. Not not Disney. Not a Disney movie, no, but it's a really good movie. The Man on the Iron Mask is interesting because that's actually a movie that's set in the time frame when these characters actually served under the correct Louis, which is the 14th, not under the 8th. So that's another reason why it's uh, interesting. Yeah, they did take some some definite liberties with the the actual French history when they were crafting the film. Well, no, in, in the books, I think he's not – they're under the wrong Louis also in the novels, right? I I thought that I thought that was correct in the novels and incorrect in the movie. Do I have that backwards? I think it's incorrect in both, actually. Ah, okay. I, I, yeah, well, until you get to Man in the Iron Mask, but I mean the initial ones because the first book uh, takes place, and then the next book is like called Ten Years After or Twenty Years After or something like that. Oh, okay. Right. So they're they're separated by decades, so they would be kings because kings like were killed like every eight years back then or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, you just had a new king. You had to replace him. Yeah, trade him in for a newer model. They look the same. They wore those fancy pants in France, you know. And the haircut. And the haircut. What's with the haircut, dude? Yeah, I don't know. Um, another famous work that the Musketeers appear in, by the way, is uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, because the man that Cyrano is doing the poetry for is a Musketeer. Oh, okay. No, I did not know. I was not aware of this. And at the end of Cyrano, the musketeer that comes out and congratulates him is D'Artagnan. Okay, then. So, there you go. And I think that's all the history I've got, folks. I mean, that's basically all <laughs> we talk about as lead into this movie. I mean, we already discussed that it's not – critics were not fans. No. No, critics were not generally positive about the movie. It did – 
okay at the box office. I wouldn't call it a huge success, although it turned a profit when you um, figure it had a budget of around $30 million. It made uh, just under $54 million at the box office, so by, by any standard, it made money. Uh, but most people would probably not consider it a huge success. Uh, it's been... It's been definitely one of those films that a lot of people of that time frame in the early 90s would go back to again and again, though. Like like you mentioned before we started recording, Todd, it's one of those that people seem to prefer better than the critics do. Yeah, definitely. All right. So the basic outline of this, like, like we said before, is similar to the book. It goes down some different paths, though, to get to the same end result is probably the best way to put it, would you say? Basically, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, because it opens with – well, first of all, it opens with the credit sequence, which involves some sort of weird boating thing going on. <laughs> I, I, noted that that remi- I noted that it reminded me of like a boat on the river sticks because it had all the fire and was really dark and the cloaked yeah. man. Yeah, there's some sort of stra- – like I felt like the beginning of uh, – if you've ever seen – uh, Star Wars and how some people will make fun of the beginning of Star Wars because the ship just goes on and on and on at the beginning. That's what I felt about the boat. I felt like the boating just – they kept boating in this underground River Styx area. Uh, and what it is is Cardinal Richelieu going to the prison where he's apparently tormenting lots and lots and lots of people uh, and ends up putting someone to death. Yes, one less mouth to feed. Yes, just to basically demonstrate that this is not a good person. Uh, and we should note Cardinal Richelieu played by the one and only Mr. Tim Curry. Yes. Of Clue fame. Of Clue fame. And yes. lots of other cool things. But mainly Clue. Mainly Clue. Not really mainly Clue, but oh. Clue is the one that our group of friends tends to remember him for. Yes. Muppet we, Treasure Island. Another Muppet Treasure good Island. Actually, that's a good point. Interesting fact. Cardinal Richelieu in the original make of the movie was played by Charlton Heston, and when he did, and followed on by Tim Curry. Uh, same thing from Muppet Treasure Island. Charlton Heston, Tim Curry. Just because we brought it up. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So if there's going to be ten commandments movie, it's going to be Tim Curry. Is that what you're saying? Apparently. <laughs> there you go. I think we should start this rumor. <laughs> Wait, was was Tim Curry in Planet of the Apes? No. They haven't remade... No, no. They, yeah, they didn't they did remake him. Yeah. They did remake it, but he was not in it. Okay, so the, the Charlton Heston replaced by Tim Curry does not stand. Well, maybe it's only in Disney movies. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> somebody, somebody please put up a Tumblr with Tim Curry in Charlton Heston roles, please. If somebody, one of our fans could do that, we would appreciate it. All right, moving on. Once we get past the establishing that Cardinal Richelieu is uh, a bad person, we move on to find D'Artagnan, played by Chris O'Donnell, who is in the countryside and is fighting Gerard because D'Artagnan has gone to say goodbye to Gerard's sister. And apparently D'Artagnan's method of saying goodbye involves unspeakable things because Gerard basically says that he has blemished his sister's honor. And so they have to duel until D'Artagnan finally turns and runs away because Gerard's brothers come by, and they start chasing him in a very, very, very long chase sequence through the woods. 
Very long is a good way to put it. Yeah, there's lots of chasing. This is a very long chase, yes. Yes, yes. There's lots of D'Artagnan chasing in the movie, I would, I would like to say, because <laughs> there is. There is. Yes, there is. I think this was a thing with Chris O'Donnell, because if you remember, there was another movie that he did around the same time where he got chased by a bunch of women in wedding dresses. So I think it was just a, a Chris O'Donnell thing in his contract that he needed to be chased. That might be. That's I actually, my. since we're talking about it, I think Chris O'Donnell was a good person for the role, though, besides the chasing thing. I can, I can get behind that even though I don't like him. I've never yeah, really his work, but yes, I can get behind that. Because he does that, that brash youngster thing very well, at least it's back then. I don't think he can do the brash youngster thing anymore. We're talking 20 years ago, folks. Right. He's probably, what, 45 now? Something like that. Yeah. But his, um, his brash youngster thing, that's exactly who D'Artagnan was portrayed as in the Dumas novel. So I think it's a good ca- person to be playing the character at that time. Oh, definitely. I think, I think the whole movie actually is pretty well cast. You can, you can say, say whether or not some people, Charlie Sheen, phoned in their performances or not. But as a whole, it's actually um, cast quite well. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Charlie Sheen dig. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) He was originally cast to play Porthos in this before they kind of shuffled the roles around a little bit. I'm glad they did because Oliver Platt as Porthos is a revelation. (laughs) Oliver Platt is just awesome. So when you were watching the other night, I tweeted the movie is just platastic because of him. So yes, I I enjoy the parts where he is in the movie. So that scene where they break up in the tunnel, like you like that first five minutes of that, and then you hate the Pretty rest much. of that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the whole goal of D'Artagnan, the reason why he was saying goodbye, is he wants to go to Paris and become a musketeer. Little does he know, back at the Ponderosa in Paris, uh, Captain Rookfort and the Cardinal's guards are disbanding the musketeers right at that very moment. Yes. So they, they basically summon all the musketeers into the square and tell them that the musketeers are no longer needed to protect the king, that the cardinal's guards will take care of it, and they are needed off to fight the war with England uh, that is about to happen, which the cardinal's about to start. But that's a whole other detail, though, they get to later. Yeah, I was kind of confused the were they at war already thing or not. That was very iffy. The whole thing is is very it, – it, it's not – I wouldn't say convoluted because you can actually follow it if you pay close attention. But it's not one of those that you can just kind of turn the brain off and watch. You ha- if you want to get the main plot, you, you really need to pay attention because, like you said, it can be confusing as to whether or not they are actually at war, if a war is about to start, uh, who is – you know who's the cardinal in comparison to the king, all that sort of stuff can be confusing if you don't – you know, you got to pay attention. Right. It, it, yeah, it, historically it's confusing too when you read the history of the ca- of the real person anyway, because he was nothing without the king, but he was everything because of the king. Right. So it, it's and that's kind of sort of going on here too, but it's not laid out well. I agree. Yeah. And so once the once the musketeers are disbanded, uh, the cardinal asks, "Is there anybody else?" and Rookfort says, well, there are three who have refused to relinquish their duties and who are no longer uh, with us, and that is Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. 
Yes. I had a question about this scene. Because okay. the Cardinal says to Roquefort, this time there are to be no loose ends. What happened before? Well, it's sort of implied that there was this whole thing with the deal with D'Artagnan's father and Roquefort, but we don't ever actually get into it. I'm assuming that's what they were referring to, but I don't know for oh, sure. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, you're right. Because that's right, because they talk about the prior king being killed. Right. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, they don't make it very clear. They just kind of rely on you to be willing to go along with Kiefer and Oliver and Charlie and have fun with it. Right. So, you know, you're riding by a windmill. And who hasn't, really? Right, who hasn't? It's a very important thing. And um, you happen to see four people coming by on horses. So you hop up in the windmill and you knock two of them out just for fun? Yes, that's what I would do. I think, and I think any reasonable person would, and that's what D'Artagnan does. <laughs> I didn't understand this scene at all. No, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay, I think... I'm going. Can I, can yeah. I jump in? Absolutely. Please go for it. Okay, he's young. He's he's not, he's not is naive, so he's seeing it. He's just seeing it as way. You know, he just saw as they were being chased. Um, and he had to save them. He, he, I guess, he again. He's playing, he's playing his young naive part here, which I, which I want to say he doesn't. See, sometimes, sometimes he plays it well. Sometimes he doesn't play it well. This is the one times he didn't play it well. Yeah. <laughs> and I think well, I that's think what they, showed yeah. here. I don't think they explain it from the get go as to. You know what it is, like that's the explanation we get after he drops the sandbags on the guys chasing the the females. But when he's doing it, I'm with Todd. I'm sitting there watching it, going, "Why is he attacking people out of nowhere?" I see. I understood it. I think a little bit before, but it wasn't portrayed well. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It's not like we're talking. Robin Hood, where, where they're attacking the coach type of thing, and and raiding raiding the coach, it's right. not it's not that type of portrayal. It's kind of like they're following behind, but they're 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 not. I mean, they're not, they're not escorts because they weren't they weren't close enough. I think that I think that's why he mis mistook it. I did see what he saw. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I think I think this movie suffers sometimes from just a lack of narrative structure, I guess would be a good way to put it. Exactly. Maybe that's the wrong thing. You know? No, I, th- I agree. Definitely. Narrative structure. It just, it's, it, sometimes they have things there that don't necessarily need to be there or connect to the next thing. Nobody went through with a, a red pen and started marking things out of the script that don't contribute to the story, even if they were fun bits. But that's just, that's just my personal thing. But that's me because I'm a plot guy. I will say that watching it with my wife, I mean, she didn't have any of those sorts of problems. She thought it was very funny and she loves to watch it, so. But there's yeah. also, the, there's also the fact with, his father being a musketeer story, and his father dying story. That it would have been nice, and I'm not 
not sure how they, I mean, they could have cut some chase scenes, I guess, to do it. To have that scene with, with his father saving the king as, a, as like, a something. Yeah. And maybe that would have been a good yeah. preface for everything. Kind of like, kind of like we talked about with um, John Carter and the missing scene that they put on the DVD. That that kind of explained everything, but they never showed it. I think that's the same thing here. They they could have had that couple scenes with the father dying and the whole betrayal. Yes. Then having the lead up, and I think it would have been a much better of a story. If they did it like Excalibur, that would have been a good way to do it. Yeah, that's right. I think it would have been good, yet, like you're saying, Cheryl, to have like the whole father stuff played out maybe in the prologue. Just something that, that explains that, uh, because it wasn't very clear. But so he does this, and he meets Constance, who will become important later. She's a, a lady's maid in the, in the house of the, the queen. Uh, she plays a much larger role in the book, but here she's just sort of D'Artagnan's erstwhile love interest. Right. It's probably the best way to put it. Uh, because she only shows up, what, for about 10, 15 minutes later? Basically, yeah. I mean, in in, in the book, just to, for everybody who doesn't know, she's actually uh, someone who D'Artagnan is having an affair with. Yes. And she's the one who's married. So I said she's having an affair with D'Artagnan. That's a better way to put it. Good point. But but instead here she's just sort of a girl that catches his eye and then they there's later scenes that make her more important. But the next part of the of the film is when he reaches Paris and he has a series of encounters with the three musketeers. Uh, we don't know that that's who they are, although if you've seen the movie poster by that point you do. But it basically it what happens is the same thing that happens in the books and any version of this story is D'Artagnan runs into each of them, sort of stumbles into them really. And ends up having to challenge each of them to a duel. I I have a question. Yes, so sir. Remember, remember we we're talking about the weirdness to some of the chasing. Yes. So he ends up running to Porthos because he's coming out from challenging against Athos. Correct. And what happens is Gerard shows up with his brothers, sees him, and starts to chase him. So he leaves his horse with this guy. Never comes back for the horse, by the way. And then he starts running through the city, but he does all these flips and jumps and stuff that seem completely unnecessary. Well, because he's young and spry. I, I guess it's just it's it. That was probably the weirdest moment for me in the book because they show him going through a lot of effort for it, but Gerard never actually moves in to chase him at that moment. He's so he's running from basically nobody. And doing backflips. Yes. And you say this is a problem. No, I'm just saying, well, I mean, it's not a problem because he meets Porthos, and Porthos is the best, but... Porthos is amazing. He totally is. Played by none other than Oliver Platt. So it, it's the, a variety of encounters. My my personal favorite is, is Aramis, played by Charlie Sheen, where... He, we see him in a lady's bedroom where he's reading poetry to her uh, until her – and scripture, is it not? It's all scripture. I mean he's reading yeah. out of a, a Bible. 
and her husband comes in and told and then he shrieks that she's married and kisses her and then runs out the window and kind of falls into d'artagnan but yet somehow this is still d'artagnan's fault but at the end of the day they have to all fight a duel so it's at one o'clock athos has to fight the the young man and porthos and aramis are backing him up and of course, they get into an argument like you can't fight him. You can't fight D'Artagnan because I have to fight him. And D'Artagnan, they figure out, has accepted a duel with each one of them. But before they can get started, the Red Guards show up and they have to, all four of them, fight against the Red Guards. But not before what I think is the funniest part of the film, which is they have to turn around and make strategy. They have to tell the Red Guards, hold on just a second. We'll fight you. Hold on. They turn around and then they have to, the three of them make strategy. And then there's... D'Artagnan sort of popping his head in, saying, "No, oh, I can fight. Come on, let me fight too." Yeah, like their like their mascot for three seconds. Yes. And now, I I figure from the way the movie was laid out is that the guard followed the three of them there because they were Roquefort had tried to arrest them in a bar, like the prior scene. Yes. So I, I'm guessing the guards just trailed them there. I, Either that or they used a GPS on their phones. That's right. They used a spider tracer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Yes, me too. During this also, we have a scene where Cardinal Richelieu starts to get creepy with Queen Anne. Cardinal Richelieu is creepy with Queen Anne quite a lot. And that yeah, is a it, mouthful to say, but it is true. Yeah, I just want to keep it at creepy with Queen Anne because it's really creepy. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, then Roquefort and the Cardinal are talking about the whole thing, and that's when they tip for the first time that Roquefort and the king have killed the father of both D'Artagnan and King Louis. Correct. But so just because it's a plot point, I didn't want to jump over it. Very true. Very true. But in the fight, so once they finally get started fighting, of course, the musketeers manage to to fight off all of their guards, and it's D'Artagnan who ends up on the top of a ledge in what appears to be a very ruined castle in France. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know why that stuck out to me, but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this whole castle is in ruins, and this is the 1600s. I don't think it should be that ruined, but anyway. Well, they refer to it as ruins. I know, but still, come on. Well, I don't know. But D'Artagnan ends up on the top of the wall fighting one of the Red Guards while the, the other three watch, and it's not until he you know, is defeated that the three musketeers end up having to leave, and they have to leave D'Artagnan behind, and the Cardinal's guards manage to take D'Artagnan while the three musketeers escape. Right. Which is, it then leads to Roquefort, who... who they knock him out, and when he wakes up, he's the Roquefort is handling D'Artagnan's sword, and that's when we figure out that, or at least we do, D'Artagnan does not, that Roquefort killed his father because he's admiring the sword and saying how it's the sword of a musketeer, and uh, he knows that the man who had it had to have been a, a brave man and all this sort of thing, and that's when we figure it out, but D'Artagnan has not yet. D'Artagnan does manage to escape, briefly at least, and when he does, he eavesdrops on a conversation between Cardinal Richelieu and Milady de Winter, played by Rebecca de Mornay, who was very big at the time, who is not one to put up with the Cardinal's mess. However, it's implied that the Cardinal found her on the streets and uh, made her into a lady, so she kind of owes him a little bit. But what 
D'Artagnan overhears is that the cardinal is asking her to send a treaty to the Duke of Buckingham. And Duke of Buckingham, of course, being from England, and that will avert the war and sort of turn France over to the cardinal because he will demonstrate to the Duke of Buckingham that he's in charge. And we don't know yet how he will demonstrate that, but that comes along later. One plot point that I wanted to mention here is that although we know it's her, he doesn't know it's her. Good point. And this will turn up later. Right, he, he hasn't seen her face. Absolutely. Very good. So, D'Artagnan is recaptured after this, of course, because Roquefort comes in uh, and he's interrogated and sent for execution because they don't want him to squeal about what he's going to learn. However, at the execution, Porthos and Aramis manage to intervene, Porthos playing the executioner and Aramis playing the priest. They manage to intervene and get away to the Cardinal's personal coach, which is being driven by Athos, and we have more chasing. Yes. And a Robin Hood moment. Can't have enough chasing. Yes. Right, because they uh, they take they start throwing all the cardinals' gold into the masses to make them basically block the horses is the idea. But yes. And then they they have to light the coach on fire and blow it up and send it into the middle of a town. It's a whole thing with a burning and a fire and. It's sort of like Johnny Cash. Yeah, they basically blow up a munitions depot with the uh, with the carriage. Yes, because I, they, least, I'm assuming that was a munitions depot. I don't understand why there were a bunch of guys with barrels of gunpowder in the middle of the road. Otherwise, because they liked guns and they were they were sidewalk gunpowder vendors. During, during this chase, though, it's important that because D'Artagnan reveals the plot and everything that he learned to the rest of the musketeers, and they all decide that they together all have to protect the king. Yes. While being very witty and making all sorts of jokes and raiding the cardinal's wine cellars and things that are in the, in the coach. Yeah, there was a lot of alcohol in that coach. Yes, there was. The, the and, cardinal and a lot likes, of gold. cardinal likes his sacrament. Yes, he does. Which is what they use to set the coach on fire. So, there you go. Yes. And then they ride. And they ride. Yes, they do. But they're not being chased yet. No, but they're riding. Yes, they are. And they're riding. And then then they rode. Some more. Yes. Guess they were riding. Yes. Sorry. Goes on for like five or ten minutes in the movie, folks. Just them it riding. Does. It does until they finally stop for rest, and uh, Porthos and Aramis try to school young D'Artagnan in the ways of wooing women. But Athos, meanwhile, is sitting by himself, and D'Artagnan goes over to talk to him and see, you know, why did why are you sitting by yourself? What's the problem? And Athos tells him a story about a count who fell in love with a woman, discovered that she was branded, she had a brand on her that she was going to be executed and ends up giving her back to the authorities. And it broke his heart because he was truly in love with her. And of course we're supposed to uh, infer from that, that Athos did this with a woman that he had married. But D'Artagnan being young and brash doesn't get it. Not no, until much later. 
Yes, because he's young and brash. That's yes, he's young and brash. Uh, this is actually a real practice, by the way, in the, in the Middle Ages, was to brand criminals with the fleur de lis in France as an indication that they were criminals. Makes sense, I guess, in some awful medieval way. Yes, painfully medieval way. <laughs> yes. The next morning when they ride out, they decide to split up because there's a skirmish and Athos and D'Artagnan end up getting cornered and Athos basically points a gun at D'Artagnan and tells him, you've got to go and stop the spy. And D'Artagnan does. He leaves, even though he's uh, Athos is being cornered and is probably going to die. D'Artagnan rides on, but he ends up just passing out from exhaustion in the middle of the road, again, from all the riding. Because there's lots of riding. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of riding. Yes. And riding. Let's, let's also point out there was another creepy scene with Queen Anne and Cardinal Richelieu at this point. Yes, where he interrupts her in her bath. Yeah, he puts her robe on. I mean, it's just totally creepy. Yes. And she's creeped out. I mean, she's just totally... She's got the right creeped-out look to her. Yes, absolutely. And, and we should mention Queen Anne, played by Gabrielle Anwar. Again, also very big at this time. Yes. The, the, what's going on is the Cardinal's in there to ask Anne to convince Louis that they need to have his birthday with a public celebration. And later on, we'll find out that's because that's the plan is for the Cardinal to have Louis killed during his own birthday party. Yes. Which is the demonstration that we referred to earlier. Correct. That's what he's going to show the Duke of Buckingham that he had Louis killed, and that's why he's in charge. The one comment I wanted to make here is um, we had a few scenes with Anne and, and, and the other girl, who I've forgotten already. <laughs> and portraying Anne's relationship with Louis and how it's in a and also talking about Anne was talking about her feelings as having an arranged marriage and being so unsure. Yeah. So so it wasn't. I mean, although she was creeped out by the Colonel, I wasn't. I want. I wanted to say they portrayed they kind of portrayed one of the one of the one of, one of these you know the something that's close to real life is that here she is in a arranged marriage married to this guy she's not sure if it's going to work out they have some they have some chemistry not a ton and here's this other guy now creeping her out and kind of threatening her in a way and, and if by in in a way you mean completely in the face of everyone involved and everyone watching the movie? Yes, yes. in a way. <laughs> Except for the guards. I mean, I'm, I he's not doing it obviously, you know, in front of anybody. Yes. So um, so I just thought it was. I just thought that was kind of um, because we we've talked about other movies. Well, we haven't really talked about other movies. There are other movies forthcoming. And it, or like the Hunchback of Notre Dame is a good example. Okay. But we've talked about these movies where there's these relationships of of obsession, and this kind of brought back the theme to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I agree. agree. Yeah. I yeah, mean, most most good. in those Esmeralda scenes. Yeah. Creepy. Mm-hmm. 
Also, another religious dude creepiness. Just saying. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Richly, nobody does creepy like Tim Curry. It's his right? voice. I think it's his voice combined with his eyes kind of thing. He does that. Yes. He, yeah. he, he does the creepy. He, he really does. No argument there. So when D'Artagnan is passed out on the road, he gets picked up by Milady de Winter, who ends up carrying him in her coach, not knowing who he is or what he knows or anything of that nature. Uh, he, when he wakes up, he's been stripped down, and she is in the room to try to seduce him for reasons that are not really clear to me, except for the fact that she's Rebecca de Mornay and he's Chris O'Donnell, and that seems like what they should do. I don't know. At that particular point in time, perhaps. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I wasn't sure why she was you know, trying to seduce him. Uh, but D'Artagnan basically says what he knows, which is that he's got to get to uh, Calais to stop the spy, and that at that point she changes her mind and decides to kill him. Well, sure, because she didn't realize who she didn't realize that who he was until right. that point. Right, and then for some inexplicable reason, decides to keep him alive. I didn't quite understand that part. I'm not sure either. Because the other guy had come, she couldn't kill him by by that point. Because the point where she was gonna kill him, they the other guy had come knocking into the into the inn, and inquiring where she was. Ah uh, yes, okay. So um, so she did not have enough time. Gotcha. Okay. Right. He also realizes too at this point is that he realizes that Athos' story is true because he sees that she has the Flor de Lis. Yes, right? he does. Mm-hmm. But what what I find interesting about that is because like we know it was the way that they branded criminals, so she can't be the only person walking around. So why does he instantly assume that she's the lady of the story that Athos told? Because it's very convenient for the plot. Indeed. It's a small world there. <laughs> it's a small Calais. It's a small world. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Because they, they managed to make it down to the boat where they're going to go, Milady de Winter and D'Artagnan. And they find they walk aboard the boat, and it turns out the crew is all dead. Because Porthos the pirate has killed them all. And <laughs> as has Aramis. <laughs> I'm just laughing because all the, all the guys who go, it's Porthos the pirate, and they all run away. <laughs> yes, they do. They do run away. But she attempts to run away, and unfortunately she gets caught by Athos, who apparently is not dead, was not destroyed in the skirmish, comes back and calls her Sabine, which it turns out she was the woman, as we mentioned earlier. And then she is apprehended by someone I did not recognize at all. The guy who had not been knocking at the inn. Yes, but I, but I, when he was knocking at the end, you couldn't see who he was. No, you, I don't think it's important who he was. I think he's I, supposed. I to think be, it is. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be the character Fenton from the novel, but I don't even think that's the ca- the name that they give him in the movie. No, it later says that it's his former her former brother-in-law. It was the it's the brother of the guy that she killed. Right. Okay. But when he shows up at the dock, he just kind of shows up and grabs her 
and you don't really know who he is. Again, I think you're supposed to assume it's the guy from the inn. Well, it is the guy from the inn. Yeah, but, but you're supposed to assume that. Yes, I agree with Ryan. That's a, some, that's a jump you have to make. Yeah. But I couldn't make the jump. That was my problem. So they managed to get the treaty, and it, and it basically what it says is that the cardinal is planning to do something for King Louis' birthday. But they don't know what it is. Now, we know as the audience, but they don't know. And Athos tries to go to Sabine's cell and convince her, and she says, no, not unless you keep me from being killed. And he can't do that because she's already been branded. Yes. Uh, but at the execution the next morning, just as she's about to do so, Athos stops him and begs Sabine for forgiveness. And just as she's about ready to be killed, she accepts his forgiveness and says that the cardinal was planning to kill the king during his birthday celebration. And just before the executioner can chop her head off, she jumps off the cliff to her death, therefore redeeming herself at least somewhat. Well, we assume she dies. Again, I'm not convinced of that. So they determine they've got to go back to Paris to stop the attack. And the only way to do that is to get the musketeers back together, right? So they are heading back to Paris, and we see that the cardinal has basically hired a sharpshooter to kill the king because he's shooting a hole through a painting. Of the king. Of the king. Yeah, uh, you know, musket technology back then. And these guys are using muskets, by the way. Hence, musketeer just saying there you go um not that accurate <laughs> under any circumstance this guy is doing the, i mean obviously the people who have made this movie have seen sniper movies before and seen how they have all those nifty little gadgets and gizmos on it but back when muskets existed guns were not made like that yeah no this this did not seem very realistic at all yeah. But it was that's funny okay. nonetheless. It's just not realistic. Yeah. But so while while that's going on, the Athos, Porthos, and Aramis and D'Artagnan are riding through the town and they have to leave messages for all the other musketeers that they need to get back together in secret uh for the king's birthday celebration. So we see them walking through the crowd when the celebration opens and it's D'Artagnan who sees that there's somebody up on the roof and goes up and manages to stop the sniper from killing the king. And the cardinal, not sure what's going on, sees the three musketeers in the crowd and blames them for the king's death because they drop their cloaks to reveal that they are musketeers and go to face the cardinal's guard. And when the red guards come out, then all the musketeers come out, and we have ourselves a bang-up, slam-bam fight. Yes. And, and once again, it, that despite that D'Artagnan is brash and young and an okay fighter... It still takes him way too long to beat a single guy. Yes, it does. I, I agree with that. Because the battle just goes on and on and on and on all the way through. I mean, it goes through the palace. It goes through the dungeon. Because Richelieu takes the king and the queen down through the dungeon. Uh, Aramis confronts the cardinal. Richelieu shoots him and knocks him down to go through the dungeon. So then Athos starts fighting Roquefort. And then D'Artagnan comes in and starts fighting Roquefort. Uh, Porthos fights some giant monster guy and impales him. Yes. Oh, yes, we did have your favorite, a fake death. That's right, because we did have the fake death scene. That's right, we have the fake death scene, Ryan. That's right, because Aramis, when he gets shot, it turns out he's not actually dead, because the cross that he wears stopped the bullet. Yes. 
Yet another Disney fake death. Indeed. Must have still hurt, though. That thing was bent. Yes, it was. Yes, it uh, was. We also learned that uh, the Cardinal and Roquefort, are, their plan is not just to kill the king, but to frame the musketeers for the death of the king. Yes. So right. everything that happened so far was going according to plan. Yes. The problem being that as D'Artagnan is fighting Roquefort, Roquefort manages to knock him down and is ready, about ready to kill him uh, when D'Artagnan's sword falls away from him. And then all of a sudden, Constance, who we haven't seen in quite some time, slides the sword over to D'Artagnan, and D'Artagnan stabs Roquefort and manages to avenge his father's death. Come on, she gets four scenes in the whole movie. And none of them are all that important. This is the important one. Yes, I agree. Meanwhile, back underground, the cardinal manages to get away in a boat, right? So he's he's boating again because he is apparently quite the boating enthusiast. <laughs> and Athos and Porthos are already on the on the sidelines. They're on the the docks. And they well, can't. you know, he he starts the movie on a boat. He ends the movie on the boat. What's the problem with that? Bookends. Mm-hmm. I, it's symmetry. Great. Right. Yeah. But they can't get to him, so they don't know what they're going to do. And all of a sudden, the, the boatman flips back his cloak, and it's Aramis, and he manages to, to capture Richelieu. They do a lot of cloak throwing back reveals in this movie. It's the long hair. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Completely convinced. Yes. But it's it's King Louis who actually gets the last laugh because he punches Richelieu and, and knocks him into the ground, knocks him into the water, rather. Uh, which ends the threat of Richelieu. Because I'm assuming there's alligators or something there. They didn't have to fish him out or anything. They just decide that, you know, if he's wet, then he's defeated. <laughs> it's sort of like the Wicked I'm thing. melting, I'm melting. <laughs> kind of like Peter Pan. He gets, the, he gets tormented by the croc. Yes. Well, I, I presume he drowned. One would guess, yes. Just like I presume the Countess de Winter hit a rock and died. Yep, sure did. But of course we get our happy Star Wars moment where everybody uh, comes up and gets a medal except for poor Chewbacca. No, uh, it's Athos, Aramis, <laughs> and Porthos are honored in a ceremony along with D'Artagnan and King Louis makes D'Artagnan a musketeer. And then Constance runs up and kisses him. Uh, until... Outside, they walk outside, and of course, D'Artagnan's got his fresh, spanking new musketeer outfit on. Where Gerard and his brothers from the beginning of the movie come back and challenge D'Artagnan to a duel. Uh, the problem being that he is now a musketeer, which means that if you challenge him to a duel, you challenge them all. Yeah, and so because the, all for one and one for all, so the musketeers chase all Gerard and his brothers out of town. Which we end this this. Three musketeerish film. Um, I did want to say our other, we, the other Star Wars reference we have is that he um, actually goes, "I killed your father." He did, yes. So <laughs> that's the closest Star Wars reference we get, folks. <laughs> did you look for anything else? I did. I didn't find any. <laughs> actually, really, that surprised me. Yeah, this is this is not one that uh, references a lot of other things. No, like I said earlier, there's not a lot written about or talked about this movie. That's why we spent a lot of time in the actual history of how the story came about. Yeah. 
Well, the main the main critique people had of it is that it was basically trying to recapture the the way that Young Guns, if you if you watch that movie, uh, which was it was a movie that had Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland in it, that was about Billy the Kid, and it was Emilio Estevez was Billy the Kid, and that I personally actually really liked that movie, but that was the big critique was that this movie was just kind of trying to play off that same formula, historical bandits, you know, banding together with these modern sort of brat packers uh, to film, to make a, a sort of action comedy. And, and that's a lot of what it felt like. It did feel very similar to that to me. Yeah. I didn't think anyone was terribly horrible in that. No. Out of the main characters though. I mean, everybody, everybody did what they were contracted to do i guess is probably the best way to put it like i said i charlie sheen just was charlie sheen he didn't really you know turn in a huge acting performance chris o'donnell was what chris o'donnell was in 1993 you know Precisely. i think yeah <laughs> oliver platt was oliver platt you know i mean everybody did exactly what they were cast to do i don't think anybody was being asked to give oscar performances Hello. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got nothing. Uh, three, <laughs> two, one. And of course, Tim Curry was, as always, creepy. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. An enjoyable way. Well, I mean, isn't he always? Indeed. Except Earth 2, if you ever saw that movie or TV show. Earth 2? Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's where, yeah. Okay, I remember that movie. Yeah, with the girl from the Noxima commercials. Yes. And by movie, I mean made for television as the pilot for a series. Oh, it, it went to series, my friend. No, no, I know it did. I'm just saying that I only think I watched it as far as the pilot. So there you go. All right. So the Three Musketeers. Uh, let's see what we have to say about it. Uh, Cheryl, what did you think of the Three Musketeers? I think you like it. Am I correct? Um, I did originally years ago. <laughs> Wait, I must have I bought it on DVD. <laughs> um, do I like it now is the question. And the answer would be? I don't think it holds up. Not against like something like Madden My Mask. Yeah. And and I, I although I have not seen Mickey in, in history Musketeers movie. Um, so I can't, I can't really comment on that one yet. Um, that one's really good, by the way. <laughs> Just saying. So, if I had to rate it... And you do. Two. Oh, a two. All right, Todd? I don't dislike this movie either. I think it's better than a lot of what we watch, but it's not as good as some of what we watch. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. I like all the actors in all the roles that they're in in this movie. I think, like we talked earlier, uh, they are all well cast. I just feel that nobody is in a role that they don't belong in in this movie. I agree there's a lot of plot holes. I agree it's a little hard to follow, and I agree the action sequences are kind of weak. Yeah, that that was my biggest complaint too. Yeah, we didn't really talk about that, but the, the sword fighting, like if you watch this and watch the pirates films, which I, I realized came you know nearly twenty years later, wow, there's a big difference. 
Right. I mean, when you could right when you could watch things like the pirate films or Princess Bride. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, I why would you want to watch this movie for its sword fighting? But again, I think the characters are all spot on, and the actors in those character roles are all spot on. So it's kind of hard when you have the acting actually carrying the movie so well. It's kind of hard to say you you completely hate the movie. Right. Right. So. But for me, it's neither great nor nothing. I think it's just a two and a half for me. All right. You know, I wouldn't. Uh, I I think I, I would go right with you guys. I, I I'm with a two because I I really don't like it. I never have it. I mean, I saw it in theaters and I didn't like it then. I saw it again on VHS and I didn't like it then. And now I've seen it on digital download and I didn't like it then. So I'm not really sure uh, if there's a format that's going to get me to like it. Uh, but it's just, I, and I actually like these kinds of movies. I like the old, you know, Errol Flynn Robin Hood. I like, uh, you know, sword fighting films. That's kind of one of my things that I like, which we pirate pirates and knights and all this kind of stuff. I I really like these sorts of films. But uh, this one, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the attempt to balance the the wisecracking with the sword fighting that that didn't it didn't work. Necessarily, I'm not really sure. I can't put my finger on it, but like you said, there's lots of plot holes. There's lots of things, and it just wasn't. It's not as fun as I feel like it needs to be. It tries to be, but uh, for me, it's just not as fun to watch. So, so I will also give it a two. It's quite the consensus we have. Yeah. Crazy. All right. So. That will do it for our look at The Three Musketeers. If you disagree with us, and I know some of you probably do, uh, you can go out there and you can let us know about it. So you can go to Facebook and find us there, Disney Film Project, or you can tweet us at Diz Film Project, or you can go to the website at DisneyFilmProject.com and you can let us know what you think. But until next week, folks, we'll see you later. This shash was a gift to me from the Queen of America. With the flick of my wrist, I could change your religion. Of course we intend to resist. Just give us a moment, all right? Mm-hmm.